We're in a series on relationships, and uh, last week we started talking about marriage. And uh, here's the deal. There are a few singles in here, and then there's a few uh, marrieds in here. And this message is for everybody, okay? It's not just for married people because those of you who are single, I know you are wanting to be married at some point. And so if you can get a hold of the things that I'm talking about uh, in last week's message and this week's message, it will save you a lot of heartache and you will stand, uh, you will enter into marriage um, on, on, you know, much further along than even uh, Priscilla and I uh, when we started our marriage. And so you're going to be ahead of the game. And so I encourage you, uh, if you're married, receive this. But if you're single, this is so, so important for you to get as well. So we are answering the question, what in the world is marriage for? And surprisingly, uh, most people in the church and outside the church, they have no idea what marriage is actually for. And I think if we can answer this questions, this question, our marriages will be better. And uh, if, you can, if you're single and you can figure this thing out, you're going to set yourself up for a beautiful relationship when God brings that person into your life. And so uh, we're looking at the five purposes of marriage. And last week we talked about marriage is for companionship. And I can only get through one, and so I'm going to have to get through four today. And so uh, I, need to, I need to be as quick as possible because I have a lot of, lot of material to cover this morning. And so uh, we talked about gender roles last week and what it means for a husband to love his wife the way Christ loved the church and what it means for a wife to submit to her husband the way uh, the church is supposed to submit uh, to Christ. And, you know, submission can be a cuss word in the church, especially to the women. You know what I'm saying? And so I hopefully we cleared up gender roles. We cleared up what it means biblically uh, to submit and what it means biblically to, for a man to love his wife. Uh, and so hopefully that cleared up some confusion in your own life. If, if you weren't here last Sunday, make sure you listen to the podcast because the me this message, today's message, is a continuation of last week's message. And so you're going to want to listen to that. So what is marriage for? Number one, it's for companionship. Number two... It's for calling. It's for calling to accomplish God's purposes together. This point is huge because it completely flies in the face of our idea of marriage being simply to fulfill us and our needs and for marriage to make us happy. Okay? I'm sorry, but marriage is so much bigger than just that. It's so much bigger than just meeting all of my needs and making me happy. Uh, and the sad thing is that a lot of people never get past marriage being all about their personal fulfillment, so they never have a fulfilling marriage, okay? So let's get right into Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter number 1, if you have your Bibles, or it'll be up on the screen for you to read along. I'm going to read verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. After God made Adam and Eve, he didn't just provide everything for them and say, here you go, you got a garden, you've got animals, you've got food to eat, now you can binge watch all your favorite shows on Netflix. 
Okay? That's not what God commanded Adam and Eve to do. He, in fact, he gave them a job. Okay? He gave them a calling to steward and manage everything he just created. Uh, to take the seed from what God created and multiply it and keep it flourishing and growing. Okay? And although in Genesis 1 the author combines the creation of man and woman together, we know from Genesis chapter 2 that Adam was created first by God and then God took, out of, uh, uh, God took a rib out of Adam and then formed Eve, okay? And Genesis 2.15 tells us that God created the Garden of Eden and then placed Adam in the garden first and gave him the job to cultivate it and keep it first. So the first job in history was a gardener with a gardening project, okay? Everyone needs a gardening project, okay? In 2019, every single one of us needs a gardening project. The problem was that this project was too big for Adam to fulfill on his own, and God did that on purpose. God knows everything, and so God created him and put him in the middle of a garden and gave him a calling that was too big for him to fulfill in and of himself, and he did it on purpose. I want to speak to uh, the single woman, in, single women in here for a moment, okay? Don't date a man who doesn't already have a gardening project, okay? Don't date a man who doesn't already have a gardening project. And what I mean by that is don't date a man that doesn't already have a calling on his life and is already pursuing, taking steps towards that calling, okay? He doesn't have to be full-blown walking in that calling, but he should be pursuing small steps towards his calling. Don't date a man who is unmotivated in life, okay? Don't date a man that can't keep a job because guess who is going to be supporting that man when you get married, okay? It's going to be you. And don't date a man who's going to make you his primary gardening project. Did you hear that, single women? Don't date a man that's going to make you his gardening project, okay? You should never date someone that wants to fix you, okay? Because that's the Holy Spirit's job, okay? If most of your interaction consists of you sharing what you're going through and, and, and him telling you everything you're doing wrong, okay, you're in an unhealthy relationship. And I've seen, I've seen people in that relationship when one of the partners is always like, is in a mess and they're dysfunctional and the other one's constantly trying to fix them, that never works, okay? Uh, you're in a relationship that is mismatched. He's trying to play the role of a father in your life, okay? And God doesn't call you to marry your father. That's weird and awkward, okay? Um, and the same can be said of men. Don't date a woman that wants to be your mama, okay? Because that will get old real quick. And sooner or later, you're going to start feeling controlled and you're going to start feeling smothered and you're not going to want anything to do with that woman, okay? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you and the person you're dating, listen, should challenge each other, both spiritually and intellectually, okay? If you're not challenging each other on both of those fronts, you are in a mismatched, dysfunctional relationship, okay? And you want, woman, women, you want a man that has a, a vision that's bigger than you, okay? And men, you want a girl that has a vision for her life that's bigger than you. 
and men and women, the person you're dating should love Jesus more than they love you. Because it's only when you are in proper relationship with Jesus that you can love a human properly. Okay? Let's, back, let's get back to Genesis chapter 1 for a moment. It says that God created man and woman to rule over the land and sea. It also says that God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The Hebrew word translated rule, it means to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. Okay, And the word subdue, it doesn't mean to exploit or harm the earth. It means to harness the raw materials that make up the planet, all the pent-up potentiality, and make something beautiful out of it. In today's world, we call that work. Okay, Some of y'all, uh, you're allergic to that word, but, but that, that, that is what that word means. Work was part of God's original plan before. For the fall. Did you know that? Some people think that work was part of the fall, but God commanded and called Adam and Eve to work before they fell into sin. Okay? Uh, work is not a bad thing. It is actually a good thing. John Mark Comer says this, We were created for work, but not just any kind of work. To partner with God to make a garden-like world in which humans can thrive and God can walk with his people in the cool of the day. He goes on to say in his book, Loveology, we need to recapture a theology of vocation. The word vocation comes from a Latin word meaning calling. I believe there is a calling on every person's life to partner with God in their corner of the garden and to work for human flourishing. Church, don't buy into the lie that pastors missionaries and worship leaders are the only ones with a calling on their lives. You can partner with God as a teacher, a grocery bagger, a nurse, a coach, uh, a, a street sweeper, uh, a crossing guard, a doctor, a lawyer, a CEO. You can partner with God in whatever you're doing to, to, to work towards human flourishing, okay? When God brings two people together in marriage, it's to pursue a calling towards human flourishing. Okay? Your marriage, regardless of what your nine to five job is, should include you reaching the lost. Because there's no greater human flourishing than for someone to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Okay? Your marriage should include you guys ministering to people. Your marriage should include you using your spiritual gifts and natural abilities to serve people and honor God. Most people just make marriage about themselves, and so they never have any fulfillment. But God made marriage so much bigger and so much better. And let me also say, when you're choosing to date someone with the intention of marriage, make sure your callings line up. Make sure your callings line up. For example, if you want to travel the world, okay, but your spouse hates traveling, you're going to be traveling solo a lot of the time, okay, and that's never a good thing. If you want to be heavily involved in ministry, even if it's on a volunteer basis, but your prospective spouse is not interested in that, you are going to have a huge void and disconnect in your marriage, okay? So you need to make sure that your callings line up properly when you choose to date someone okay god has something big for your marriage he doesn't want you to live two separate lives and be glorified roommates or friends with benefits okay 
His calling for marriage on your life is so much greater than that. He has something better for you. He has created a garden for you and your spouse to tend together. Okay? My next point. We don't have any children in the room, so we're, we're all good. Okay? <laughs> the, <laughs> the third purpose of marriage is sex. Okay? It's sex. S-E-X. Okay? <laughs> I'm not sure what your view growing up was about sex. Okay? But as a person who grew up with two Christian parents and, and I attended church basically every week, I thought sex was bad. I thought sex was dirty and we needed to wait until we were married to do it or I was going to get an STD or get a girl pregnant. Okay? And that was pretty much the gist of my sexual education. Okay? Sex is something that, that the church has neglected to talk about. Okay? And because of that, we have been educated about sex from the world, from culture, from Hollywood, okay? And that's why we got a bunch of people that have no idea what it means to have a healthy understanding of sex and sexuality, okay? <sighs> and we are going to learn about sex somewhere, whether it's at home, school, in the movies. We're going to learn about it. And let me tell you something else. The world absolutely idolizes sex, okay? We are oversaturated with sex. We worship sex in our culture. And, and if you don't believe me, why is it that a company trying to sell a toothbrush, okay, will put a model in their commercial and she will seductively try to brush her teeth? <laughs> so how many of you know there is no seductive way to brush your teeth? Whether you're the ugliest person in the world or you're the most beautiful person in the world, when you wake up, your breath stinks, okay? And some of you, your breath stinks. Okay, it's so bad, it stanks with an emphasis on it. And so the reason why these uh, companies use sexuality in their commercials is because they know that sexuality is addicting. Okay, they know that por the porn industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. They understand that sex sells. And so whether they're selling hamburgers, have you, like, have you seen those commercials with the hamburgers and the people are like sexually eating a burger? It's crazy, okay? That is gross. I don't want to have that kind of experience when I'm eating food. But they understand that sex sells. And so they inundate us with sex with everything. The world has cheapened sex. Okay? We believe that we can have sex with whomever we want, whenever we want, because it's our right. It's our right, and it's nobody else's business. Here's what you and I need to understand about sex. God created sex. God was the one that created sex. Sex was not an invention by the devil and somehow hijacked by God. Okay? God is the inventor of sex, and he gave us the ability to feel pleasure. Okay? And because God created sex, it is good. Because everything God gives to us is good. Okay? Can I get an amen for that? Okay? Amen. I'm so glad sex is good. Okay? Far too long, the church's message about sex has been reduced to one word, and it's don't. Okay? Don't look at porn. Don't have sex before you're married. Don't lust. Don't look for love in the wrong places. Don't sleep around. Don't, 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 don't. And that has been the, the, the entire 
uh, word for sex in the church, and that's what we teach our young people, and we think that's okay, and that's good enough, but you know that's not good enough. And because of this, I think many Christians have a faulty view of sex and sexuality that we carry into our marriage beds. And while all of these things that I mentioned are true and we should live by these things, the scriptures actually don't start with a don't when, they come, when it comes to sex. Okay, In Genesis 1, 27 and 28, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. What do you think be fruitful and multiply means? doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out, okay? <laughs> the very first commandment in the Bible, the very first commandment in the Bible is to have sex. Did you know that? It was not do not lie. It was not do not steal. It was not do not murder. It was Adam and Eve. You're married. I officiated your, your, your marriage. Now go do your thing and fill up this earth. That was the very first commandment. Mo Isom in the book, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot, defines sex this way. Sex is God's invention. I hope this isn't making you feel awkward. If it's making you feel awkward, I'm sorry, but we need to talk about this, okay? We need to stop keeping it in the closet. We need to stop, we need to stop keeping it a secret because all of our young people know all about it, and unfortunately, all of them are doing it, so... Uh, we need to talk about it. <clears throat> it. Sex is God's invention. It's comprised of physical, mental, emotional, and above all, spiritual acts of connection designed by the Creator for the unity, pleasure, and reproduction of the very lives He created. Sex is a holy gift purely designed by a God who delights in lavishing His creations with every good and perfect blessing. It is a pure act given to us as a gift to enjoy and delight in under the divine guidance of the appropriate context, circumstances, and boundaries. I don't know about you, but I never heard anything taught like this in church when I was growing up by my youth pastors, anything, okay? Uh, Priscilla and I, we dated for uh, a year and eight months before we got married, and I don't know why, but she had this bright idea that we were going to wait until our wedding day to kiss. And when she told me that, I said, that's the voice of the devil. Don't listen to it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I honored what she felt like God wanted her to do. And we ended up on our wedding day at the altar when the pastor said, you may now kiss your bride. That was our very first kiss. And it was a beautiful moment that I'll never forget. And so, of course, we waited till our marriage. Uh, I wasn't a virgin when we started dating. But we waited, her and I waited to have sex until our wedding night. And it was a beautiful moment that both her and I, we, we will never forget for the rest of our lives. It, it, was, it was awesome and it was incredible. And it was definitely worth the wait. And I say that to say this, sex is sacred. Yeah. Okay, it's not cheap. Okay, it's not to be given to just anyone. Okay, it's not supposed to be casual. Our culture has made it into a casual thing, but sex is sacred because it is a gift from God. It's supposed to be extraordinary, okay? Yeah. Sex is both powerful and purposeful, okay? Mo goes on to say, 
Physically, sex includes a beautiful range of acts and expressions. Mentally, it is a catalyst for the activation of unbelievably powerful neurotransmitters in our minds. Emotionally, it is an expression of love, surrender, trust, and sacrificial service to another. Have you ever thought about sex in that way? It's always, what can I get from that person, right? And spiritually, sex is a tangler of the souls, a bonding agent that leaves a permanent imprint on our hearts and our spirits. We are sexual beings and our spouse is a gift from God. And within that context, we are to enjoy and experience pleasure in sex. Okay? God created sex before the fall. Therefore, we were sexual before we were sinful. Did you hear that? We were sexual before we were sinful. So what's the purpose of sex? Number one, for pleasure. And number two, it's a unifier, as Mo touched on in the excerpt we just read. It's a, it's a unifier of married couples. Sex is a bonding agent. It's a powerful way to come together and maintain and deepen your connection with your spouse. Okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, starting with verse 1. It says this, now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Okay? Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. In the book, The Meaning of Marriage, Tim Keller says this, sex is God's appointed way for two people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. You must not use sex to say anything less. Sex should never be used to stay in a relationship. Okay? If your partner is pressuring you to have sex or threaten to leave, do yourself a favor and let them go. Let them go. They're not worth it, and they obviously don't see you as worth it either. Okay? Sex should never be used to advance your career. Okay? Yeah. Sex should never be used as a way to control someone. Yeah. Okay? Sex is way too sacred to be used and cheapened for those things. Sex is supposed to be a husband serving his wife and a wife serving her husband. It is supposed to be an act of selflessness where we're totally and completely giving of ourselves to the one that we have promised to, to, to be with forever and ever and ever. It was never intended to be about what I can take from the other person, okay? All right, enough about sex. Let's move on. What in the world is marriage for? Number four, procreation, a.k.a. making babies. 
okay? Let's go back to the first commandment in Scripture, uh, Genesis 1.28. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it, okay? God designed the family to be the building block of society, okay? That's what God designed the family for. The family is incredibly important to God. In fact, in Scripture, God is called our Father, and Jesus is called the Son of God. Uh, Christians are referred to as brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And one of the purposes of marriage is to have babies and disciple those babies to become world changers for Jesus, okay? Family is at the center of God's vision for the world, okay? I've said, I've said this, this uh, statistic before, but... I'll say it again because it, it's, uh, it's very appropriate for this point. Did you know that by 2050, Islam will be the largest religion in the world? It will overtake Christianity by 2050 if things go the same way as they're going now? And, it's, and, and the reason they say that this is going to happen is not because the conversion rate in Islam is greater than the conversion rate in Christianity, but it's because Muslims are having more babies than Christians are having. That, that, that's the simple fact, okay? And one of the ways that we can further the cause of Christianity is by having babies and, and modeling a robust faith that sets our children up to carry on our faith to the next generation, okay? God set it up this way, okay? Obviously, we're supposed to preach the gospel and win as many people to Christ as we can, but we are also supposed to disciple our children and, 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 and train them to be lovers of Jesus and to carry on our legacy of being a Christian into the next generation and multiplying that legacy. That is God's design and God's will. The report, Why Marriage Matters, third edition, 30 conclusions from the social sciences reported on the multiple benefits of marriage, including the advantages for children. A diverse team worked collectively on this report, including family scholars from UC Berkeley, Rutgers University, and the universities of Texas, Virginia, Minnesota, Chicago, Maryland, and Washington. This is not just a bunch of Christians that came together and gave their opinion, okay? These are from secular universities. They found that children who lived with their own married parents in general live longer, healthier lives both physically and psychologically, that they do better in school that they are more likely to graduate from high school and attend college, that they are less likely to live in poverty, that they are less likely to be in trouble with the law, that they are less likely to drink or do drugs, that they are less likely to be violent or sexually active, that they are less likely to be victims of sexual or physical violence, and they are more likely to have a successful marriage when they are older. I think it's safe to say family matters. And within a husband and wife marriage, children are way more likely to flourish and thrive, okay? And obviously, there are exceptions to the rules, so I don't want anybody running up to me after church saying, I, I grew up in a single-parent home and I turned out well. That happens. But generally speaking, okay, these are the statistics when it's a, a, a husband and a wife raising children, okay? Okay, so the final purpose a marriage that we're going to talk about, okay? This is a big one, very important. Final purpose of marriage is sanctification. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody talk about marriage and this being one of the purposes, but 
This is a big one because a lot of people don't realize that this is one of the purposes of marriage. So they mistake God sanctifying them through their spousal relationship with a lack of compatibility and end up giving up on their marriage. They end up giving up on their marriage. Okay, Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Okay, Because so many of us have been force-fed the lie that our marriages need to be perfect, right? And without conflict, and we need to have unbelievable uh, sex all the time, and we need to see eye to eye on every single issue, and we, we, we can never raise our voice to one another. Because we've been force-fed the lie that this is what marriage has to be, we think that if we have any struggles within our marriage, they must not have been the right person for us. We must not be compatible with one another. And let me tell you something, that's a lie from the devil to get you to break your covenant promise with your spouse, okay? Maybe what's happening is that God is using your spouse to bring out the ugliness in your heart so that he can finally deal with it, okay? That, that is a great possibility within your marriage relationship because let me tell you something, there is no one on the face of this earth that can make me happier than my wife Priscilla. And there is nobody on the face of this earth that can make me angrier than my wife, Priscilla. And she can testify the same thing about me. We know exactly how to push each other's buttons. And from time to time, we do it. Okay. And we have had, uh, we, we've had a few very intense arguments over the 10 plus years of marriage. I mean, we haven't had a ton of them, but we've had a few that have, that have definitely stuck out. And... Uh, <laughs> And I want to share one of the, one of the most, more interesting, funnier ones with you. And this one happened about seven or eight years ago. So for those of you who know Priscilla, you know that she despises any sort of, of, of uh, bodily, bodily functions, she, bodily noises, okay? And so she gets angry at me if I ever burp or pass gas, okay? She gets angry, she feels disrespected if I do that in front of her because she's already told me that she hates it and she doesn't like it and all of that. In fact, we discussed this issue during premarital and the people teaching us told her, Priscilla, you need to get over it. And 11 years later, she still hasn't gotten over it. Uh, but there was this one specific time we were living in Texas. It, was, it had to be like six or seven years ago at least. And, and uh, we were in the living room and I'm sorry I'm being crass. Uh, we're talking about sex in this message, so I might as well just go all out. Okay, uh, I let one rip, okay? I let one rip. One of those ones where I was proud of it. Right? I was like, okay, if <laughs> I'm the type of person, you don't have to ask me whether I did it or not because I will totally claim it, okay, and be proud of it. Uh, and so I let one rip, and it was, uh, it was a good one. And so Priscilla, she walks out of the room, and I thought maybe it smelled or maybe she was so disgusted with, with, the, noise, uh, with the noise of it that she walked out. She walks back in the room like 30 seconds later, and she has a bottle of Lysol. And she's, I'm laying there in the living room. She starts spraying me with Lysol. And I got so angry with her with the disrespect of her spraying me with Lysol that I was like right there in the living room. I took my pants off, and I threw them right at her. 
And I was like, okay, you sprayed me with Lysol. Now let's do number three in the marriage, uh, in the purposes of marriage. No, I'm just kidding. But I no, I did. I took my pants off right there and I threw them at her. And, and I tell that story to say this. God uses marriage to make us more like Jesus. But sometimes we mess up and fall short, don't we? And we both fell short in that moment. <laughs> she thinks I just fell short. If I were to break down marriage into its simplest terms, okay, it would be two broken individuals coming together to do life with one another. Okay? And because both husband and wife are broken, things aren't always going to be romantic and perfect and blissful all the time. Okay? And that's actually an encouraging thing because in a Christian marriage, the tension that is present exposes areas of our heart that God is still working on in our lives. Okay? It's only in an intimate relationship like marriage that these issues can come out in. Okay? And that's what sanctification is. It's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Okay? It's exposing issues in our heart and us, uh, and us taking them to the cross and saying, God, I can't do it, but with your spirit, you're going to give me that strength to overcome these issues in our lives. But it's not only negative things that marriage exposes. Marriage can also be an exposer of our God-ordained destinies. And one of the greatest things that, that, that Priscilla is really, really good at is that she can see the best in me and nudge me in that direction. She can see things in me that because of my insecurities or because of my frustrations or because of things not happening at the speed that I'd like to see them happen, she can see my destiny in me. And though I'm discouraged at the time, she can continue to push me and nudge me in that direction and say, Steve, I see something in you. You just need to keep going. You just need to get back up. You just need to push through, okay? And that's one of the great things about marriage because we shouldn't be anchors to our spouse constantly holding them down we should be champions of their destiny constantly propelling them forward into better versions of themselves into what god has for them but when we're just hung up on what you can do for me and are you fulfilling me and are you completing me and are you complimenting me you can never get past yourself and see their destiny and start to push them in that direction we need to be partners with the Holy Spirit in the sanctification process of our spouse. Okay? We need to ask God to show us who God created our spouse to be and then help them get there. Okay? This perspective is so different from expecting marriage to be where we find our missing half or find the person who is supposed to complete me. That sounds romantic, but that is not God's purpose for marriage. And many people fall into that trap and they have a miserable marriage or they, they, they fall, they cut it off short because they never understood what marriage was for. Amen. Priscilla brings out the best in me, but she also brings out the worst in me. Okay. Priscilla, she confronts me when I'm being selfish. Okay. She tells me when I'm being insensitive. She calls me out when I'm being rude to her or ignoring her. One of the things that I struggle with sometimes is not listening to Priscilla when she's talking to me. Like, I'll, I'll hear the first part of it, and then if, the, if a game's on or something, or, or on my phone, something will get my attention, and all of a sudden, she's like, did you even hear what I said? And then 
I'll try to like patch some stuff together as far, and sound really confident and hope that it works, but it never works and, and, and it creates tension and conflict and it's me being selfish. It's me not giving her the attention that she deserves. It, it's me not focusing in on her when she's trying to speak to me. It's rude and it's unkind and it's unlike Jesus, okay? And through my relationship with Priscilla, the Holy Spirit is working on me in this area of my life, okay? So I want to illustrate marriage, and if I could get Christian to help me, I want to illustrate what marriage is like, okay? Um, and so when you get into a marriage relationship, this is what happens in a Christian marriage. This is what happens to husband and wife, okay? You, you guys are, are like a sponge, and when you are squeezed in that marriage relationship, everything inside of you comes out. Okay? Everything inside of you, the good, the bad, the toxic, the ugly, the nasty, the bad attitudes, the bad mindsets, the things you grew up with that are coming back to haunt you in your marriage, all of those things come out when you are in a covenant relationship with someone, and God designed it that way, because if they don't come out, He can never deal with those things. Thank you. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, says, Marriage is for helping each other to become our future glory selves, the new creations that God will eventually make us. It's what I was talking about earlier, seeing the best in your spouse and then saying, they're definitely not quite there yet, but I want to join in on the journey that God is taking them on. Saying they're not a finished product yet, but I want to join in on what God is doing in their lives and I'm excited about where God is taking them. So let me get on that train with them to help them get there. Marriage is so much more than just, what can I get out of it? It's so much more than just, I, I need someone to complete me. I need someone to fulfill me. I need someone to love me. I need someone to do this for me and that for me. And so I, I need to find someone. Marriage is so much greater than that. God's, uh, God's purpose for marriage is on such a higher level than what many, many of us have been taught and many of us understand about marriage.